Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to Dean One Podcast. My name is Martasim Ibrahim, your host and your moderator for today's podcast. Um, with me, I have two brothers, Hayyan and Hudayfa Khan, uh, both college students. Uh, Hayyan Khan is a medical en- uh, mechanical engineering student at Central Michigan University, and Hudayfa Khan is a biomed engineering student at the University of Illinois at Chicago, same university that I go to. Uh, with us, we also have Brother Abdullah. Brother Abdullah is a graduate of computer science at UIC as well. So we have three UIC um, you know, students slash alumni here. Assalamu alaikum to you all. How are you guys doing? Alhamdulillah, I'm doing good. So inshallah today, uh, we're going to be discussing something that's on the minds of a lot of Muslims and a lot of people living in America. And the thing that we're going to discuss inshallah is the upcoming elections. Now, as Muslims in the Muslim community, a lot of the times we're told to align ourselves with a specific party. Um, To be more specific, we're told to align ourselves with example, the Democratic Party, right? So there's a lot of pressure uh, to tell the Muslim community to go out and vote. Um, um, you know, especially I think you guys kind of recognize this is that, you know, this time around voting season, you know, we see a lot of ads when it comes to voting. You know, we see ads on social media. We see, you know, people who are very well known in social media, like basketball athletes, football athletes, telling people to vote. And it's never been like this before. You know, if you look at the past presidential, um, you know, elections and stuff like that, um, there has never been such a big push to tell people to vote. And a lot of notable people in the Muslim community have also been telling, uh, you know, the Muslim community to vote. So inshallah, uh, we're going to discuss voting. Uh, We're going to be answering questions um, such as what is voting? Um, is voting the only way to change? Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff, inshallah. Uh, so before we even go into the you know, halal, haram aspects of voting and if we're allowed to do it, if we're not allowed to do it, we want to come to an understanding of what voting is first, right? So Hudayfa, I want to kind of direct this question to you and ask you and just kind of give us a little background of uh, how does the voting process in a democracy actually work? Hudayfa, go ahead. Sure. Um, thank you for the question, Malkison. Um, get into how the voting voting process uh, works and what the vote actually means. You got to understand um, how, how the democratic system in America really works. And America is not really a true democracy um, like you have in some parts of Europe. Uh, it's a, it's a, it can be more, it's more indirect. Um, you know, it's not just a majority has a power. Um, and the, actually the founding fathers of the, of the United States were against um, they thought the majority could easily, um, you know, take control of the nation, and they didn't want that. Um, and America, so America can really be more accurately described as a republic, um, where uh, where representatives are uh, these uh, elected officials. They represent uh, the citizens of the United States. And um, so, you as a citizen, you're voting to uh, elect officials, elect these politicians um, who go out and represent you in Congress uh, or whatnot. So um, when you vote, when you're putting your vote in for a politician, um, you're giving them the right to legislate on behalf of you. You know, it's impractical to have, um, you know, America's population is almost 330 million. Um, it's impractical to have all of them vote uh, and vote on each law, each bill that's passed. 
um, therefore you, you have these representatives um, who, who are going to go out and do for you. Um, now this, you know, we'll get into why this might be considered wrong through the Islamic perspective, um, but for this, uh, for this, let's uh, um, what the vote really uh, means. Now, um, now because you're representing you, it isn't, um, every action they carry out, uh, or not every action, but every law they care, they vote for, every bill, um, they, they stand behind every policy they advocate for, is that you, as if you, the voter, um, has also stood behind these, um, behind the, the, the politicians' um, policies. Because you, you're, you gave them the power, you elected them, um, be in that position to represent you. Um, now, so I hope that, that you guys are able to follow that. Now, some, there's something additionally um, added onto America's democratic system and um, with, the, with the elections coming up, you gotta understand what the electoral college is. Now, uh, as I said before, America is not a true democracy. The citizens are not directly um, controlling what, what, what goes on into the, uh, in, the, in the government. Um, so the electoral college, that, that actually serves as a formal committee um, that's elected president. So when you when you the citizen go out and vote for for the election um, in you know right prior to November, uh, you're actually voting for um, a number of um, electors who then are in early December go to formally vote for the president. Um, so like I use Illinois as well. Illinois has 20, uh, 20 electoral votes. Now this is the nation as a whole has five hundred thirty eight, and you know each state has a different number um, for like their population size. So now, suppose um, suppose the Democratic nominee Joe Biden this year wins the popular vote in Illinois. So most of the citizens are going to vote uh, for the Democratic Party. Um, in this case, twenty uh, electors, uh, Democratic electors, um, close colleagues of the of Joe Biden, the Democratic Party, they in early December are going to um, formally vote for the president. Now, usually this the case is where all twenty of them do end up voting for um, for the party they align with. But they don't. They actually don't have to, um, and they actually have been in the past where where they overturn their pledge. Um, so hopefully uh, that kind of gives us a better understanding how the democratic system and um, voting really works in the United States. Zakhlafe. Zakhlafe. Yeah, for sure. That does open up a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of things there that, you know, even I didn't know when it comes to electoral college. Zakhlafe or Um so we're going to kind of transition into a different question and a different aspect of you know what we see a lot of the times in social media and you know on tv a lot of the times we're told that our vote counts you and i and every single person that goes and votes every single one of those votes counts um uh let's just watch this video really quick that talks about you know our voting counts and then inshallah we can go into a uh, discussion. Why should we vote? No, we should vote because it's important for community. It's also important that we exercise our right as citizens of this country and every vote counts. I vote on the issues that are important to me. Civil rights, immigration, healthcare and education, equality, the environment, community, and taxes are very important, immigration, and the economy. So there you go. That was a video. Um, you hear a lot of people talking about, you know, they vote for things that they are passionate for, you know, things about, for example, economy, immigration, um, you know, the list goes on and on. So, um, you know, the, the question that I want to ask Hayan is that, 
when we vote and we vote to try to change these types of things, does our vote actually count? All right, that's a great question. Before I go on, I just want to make sure, can you hear me uh, pretty good? Yeah, everything's all right. Okay. Right. So um, that video, you know, it makes these points to the American society that, you know, that they have to get out and vote and without them, their, you know, their system is not going to work because their, their voice needs to be heard, right? This is what they frame. And like you said, you know, in the beginning of your intro that, you know, all these athletes, especially right now with the NBA playoffs going on, I'm sure you guys have seen, you know, while they're sitting on the bench, their warm-up teams all have, you know, the go vote or vote. It, and it, this is their way of like protesting to some of the the crisis that we've seen in our country lately and really to understand this we have to understand that vote idea of voting is really a fig leaf attempt to hide the capitalist system and what i mean by that is you know disguise something that's even worse right and we know as as muslims that this capitalist system is something that completely contradicts islam right and this system is is something that has destroyed not just Muslims, but non-Muslims as well. Today in America, we see millions of people, you know, being hurt um, from different aspects in different um, cultures in different parts of their societies. And it's because of this capitalist system. But what they do to cover it up is that, that they say, okay, if you want your voice to be heard, go, go ahead and vote. But really, at the end of the day, we know that their vote is not really doing much. You know, they're, they're given two options to pick between. And these two options, Democrat Party or the Republican Party, they already have their own set agendas from before. They might give you, you know, a few policies that you might be attracted to in the beginning. But at the end of the day, they have their own agendas on what they want to do, what changes they want to bring, and what's really going to help these capitalists. These parties are funded by bigger organizations, for example, like the NRA or bigger companies um, like Boeing. And we see, you know, when, when they get in trouble, big, like, for example, when COVID um, initially came, when we were first hit with this crisis and we saw that Senate passed, you know, a $2 trillion bill for COVID. This was not, you know, for the people really. I mean, some of it was, but essentially this was to protect the big businesses, the Wall Street businesses, um, Boeing and other such companies. And it was to save them. And it shows that this capitalist system at the end of the day, you know, who, who it's always going to favor. And so to, to say that, you know, your vote is going to change what's going to happen or if it really, you know, makes an impact, I would say, you know, just look at, how much the oppressed communities have progressed in the past hundred or so years. And you would see very little. They've been, you know, they've only been offered one type of solution and that's to go vote. And for them, you know, they don't have anything else. They don't have an alternative system like us. And we'll talk about this later, inshallah, but they're left with this, la uh, this um, last case scenario to go vote. And we see that, you know, for years and years, it's continued to fail them. I hope that can explain, you know, a little bit. Yeah, it does. Um, I think now that we've talked about, um, you know, what, how does voting work? Um, you know, what is a democracy? Um, and does our vote actually count? Um, I want to get into the Islamic perspective of it. You know, I want to address um, how Muslims should look at the issue of voting because, you know, as Muslims, whatever we do in our life, however we approach a situation, however we kind of critique what's going on we should be critiquing it through the islamic lens right so before we do something we have to ask ourselves did allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to do this did muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam do this we have to ask ourselves these types of questions so when it comes to voting and an issue as big as voting 
uh, we need to ask ourselves these questions. So Hayan, I just want to kind of uh, follow up with you. And I want to ask you, you know, as this election is coming up on November 3rd, um, and uh, is, are we allowed as Muslims to go and vote for a specific candidate to enact laws on our behalf? Right. And before I go into it, I just want to, you know, um, welcome the other speakers as well. Just chime in if you need to say anything pertaining to the topic. Just keep a very informal discussion. However, okay, so going back to your question, you know, your, your the introduction that you just gave right now, it's really important that we have to, as Muslims, you know, look through the Islamic lens first. And this is a very important point that we always need to keep in our mind, whether it's in this case, voting or anything that we face in, in society and in school it, with our families, we need to understand that our first, you know, initial reaction should be, what does Islam say about this? Now, um, the act of voting itself, this is a halal action. This is allowed by Islam. And we've seen it in the past that, you know, some of the um, khulafas, they were chosen by this. When we talk about um, the, when Osman bin Affan and Ali radiallahu anhu, what happened with them, that the, that the you know, the, the council that Umar bin al-Khattab, he assigned, he, they went out to, you know, um, consider the opinions of the people and they essentially they, they voted who they thought would be a better candidate so the idea of voting this is allowed now when it comes about what you are voting for this is a really important concept to understand in islam when you vote for someone you give wakala to them which means to you know you give authority to someone to act on your behalf for example if we take a step back when we talk about you know people getting married when a female she wants to get married she sends a mahram her mahram on her behalf to go and, you know, um, you know, take the steps for marriage or whatnot to, uh, initiate, to initiate that. And this, is, uh, this means that the woman is giving her wakala to, the, to her mahram, right? Now, when we take this back to the idea of voting, this, the same principle applies. When in Islam, we vote for someone, we give our, our wakala for, for the khalifa or the ruler to act on our behalf. So we have to see what are they acting? Are they acting on Islam or are they acting on kufr? And today in society, in America, in this election of, between Biden and Trump, of course they're ruling on kufr, right? Even Obama, um, Bernie, uh, Hillary, anyone, who, who, whoever it is, even if they're not as bad as Trump, if you want to say, or if they're nicer people, or if they're, they can appeal to the people more, it, it doesn't matter. What they're ruling by is kufr. Their, their actions are haram, and we are giving our wakala to them, and this is not allowed, you know, to give wakala to um, someone who's going to commit haram on you. The next point that say, we have can to I, like, I was, can I ask one thing real quick, Hayan? What would yeah. you say about you know rulers rulers in the in the Muslim lands today? Right. No, that's a that's a great point to bring up. So a lot of times we think that oh, what if I go to Pakistan or Jordan or some Muslim country where they claim to like for example rule by Islam or even though they might have their own constitution, they say it's an Islamic constitution. Is voting in that you know scenario acceptable? So we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says in the Quran, in that the ruling, it only belongs to Allah. He says it in Surah Yusuf. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says, And whosoever does not rule by Allah, by what Allah has revealed, they are the oppressors. So we, we, this makes it very clear that legislation, that ruling, it can only belong to Allah. Man cannot create law. This is forbidden. This is shirk, right? To, to think that you can create law, this is shirk. And in Pakistan, in Jordan, and all these Muslim countries, even though they call them, you know, Islamic countries or whatnot, at the end of the day, they are still making their own laws, right? It's the, they have their parliament systems and they, they vote on bills, they vote on laws. 
and they might have some Islamic laws, but at the same time, they also have, you know, kufr laws as well. As well. When we look at these countries that Hudayfa you're mentioning, you know, Muslim countries, they're all tied in World Bank loans in riba, and their whole economic system is built on, you know, uh, haram stuff that is forbidden. So if we're if we're going to vote for these people um, in these elections where they are going to, you know, create law, we are we are giving our wakala to them that you are allowed to create law. We approve of this. This is very forbidden as Islam and um, I hope that was clear, Mutasim. If there, you know, if there's any more clarification needed, I'm more than happy to. You know, so, to, just to clarify one point, uh, when you talk about the word wakada, so does that mean? Right. Correct me if I'm wrong. That you're like giving someone um, the authority, or you're approving of some someone to kind of take an action on your behalf. Is that exactly? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. right. So let me just. And in this case, like I said, it's man-made law, right? This is the point that we need to understand. It's not about what it it could be. It could be like, for example, you know, the if Bernie Sanders is running for president or whatever, Biden, you know, he says something good for the Muslims, right? He says, "Oh, we'll support," even though they don't support Palestine. Let's say they say we support Palestine, right? We know they're very openly Zionist, right? Especially Joe Biden. We've seen, you know, his videos from the past. But let's say they do, in some way, support Islam. We think this is what's best for us. No, at the end of the day, even if they support that, they're still on the other side creating laws which they think are better than the laws of Allah. Allah has created everything for us. He's created a system for us to live in, a perfect system. And that's the only system, you know, that we should live by. So let me just play devil's advocate here really quick. And I want to kind of point this to Hudayfa, is that, um, you know, living in the West as Muslims, um, we're told a lot of the times that, you know, we can't really control what's going on and that, we have to vote for the lesser of two evils, okay? Um, this is what we're told a lot of times. And I want to just, you know, take some time to watch this video really quick of two prominent uh, shuyukh, uh, very well-known in the West, who defend this type of argument. Let's watch it. All right, let me just play the recording of it. You guys could hear it. The discussion now is, you know, if I vote for, a, you know, say, you know, Mr. Hussein Obama, uh, or I vote for Romney, <laughs> or anyone, like then, I didn't, I'm not saying anything. Then, then you know, that, that means I'm supporting some good and evil and that the idea of supporting good and evil didn't exist kind of previous, especially in the time of the Khulafa. But you look at like, for example, Sultan Al-Ulama Azizin Abdu'l-Salam, Anam. He talks about the idea of supporting a Muslim leader who was fasiq and mu'min. He talks about the, 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 the reality of at times having to support, and at that time was making bay'ah, to a leader who might have been a fajr, his adala, his, his integrity might have been suspect, but at the same time he had the sultah. And he actually wrote about this. And he said that if, there's a, if there are two bad leaders, then the lesser evil becomes the good that the Muslims should support. And he talked about this, he wrote about this, and this is over, he was in the 6th century after the history of the Prophet. So there right there is a clip, um, as you can see towards the end, he spoke about, um, as the Muslims, if we have two evils, it's our, we have to choose the lesser of the two evils, which is the better of two options. Uh, Hudayfa, what's the Islamic understanding on the, less, the issue of lesser of two evils? Um. Okay, let me, I'll begin answering this by first reciting uh, this hadith, which was narrated by uh, Aisha, and then I'll get into uh, critiquing the statement that Shaykh uh, Sahib just made. Um, so, Bismillah. 
uh, whenever Allah's Messenger وسلم, was given the choice of one of two matters, he would choose the easier of the two. As long as it was not sinful to do so, but if it was sinful to do so, he would not approach it. Um, now, with, with secularism kind of encompassing our entire lives from every single angle, uh, we start to look at things, uh, you know, with this cost-benefit. And this is really where um, this argument of lesser of two evils comes from. It's, not, it's really not from Islam. Islam has one way of looking at things. It's, uh, is it is a certain action uh, haram or is it halal? That is the only way Allah has allowed us to um, look at, uh, look at uh, every action. Okay. Um, now, uh, a lot of actually, many scholars do actually agree that the act of voting or putting someone, uh, allowing someone to legislate on something, uh, on a system, something other than what Allah has revealed is haram, but they, uh, but they match it to um, instances or the very certain uh, times where Allah allows the believer to commit the haram action and not be, and not be, uh, um, accounted, uh, be, held, be held accounted for. Um, now, the, now those certain instances are very, very specific, you know, such where you only have two, two, only, only haram things to choose from, um, such as, you know, let me give an example of what our uh, brothers and sisters in China are going through right now. Um, you know, they're given the option to at one drink alcohol or be killed in that, in those, in that very specific instance, Allah does allow you to, um, you know, choose the less evil option or uh, choose the haram option, but, you know, and still stay alive. Uh, Allah allows that. But, you know, looking at our, our situation here in the West, we're given the option to vote for candidate A, candidate B. That's how people look at it. But really, there's a third option, um, which is to not vote at all. So voting for candidate A would be, would be a sin, uh, as scholars do agree. Voting for candidate B would be a sin. And they see as a lesser of two harams. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a third option, which I said, is to not vote at all. So really, you know, the lesser of two evils does support um, choosing the third option, which is to vote. Um, now, but Sahib Webb, uh, Sheikh Sahib Webb mentioned that the um, scholar at the time um, allowed for the less evil sultan to, to be elected. Now, the problem with this is that that system that the sultans are ruling by is still Islam. So it's still, it, they're still ruling by what Allah has revealed. Living in, the, living in the West, if we vote for the less evil ruler, they're still ruling by something that Allah has not revealed. Um, they're still ruling by these man-made laws. So, you know, this argument can't really be, this reality can't be related to what um, the Shuyuk at the time with the Sultans, when they, when they were ruling by what Islam um, and what Allah has revealed, you know, it can't really be matched. You know, let's say, you know, let's look at what really where this argument lesser two evils has gotten us in the past. Uh, let's look in, let's look in America. When, um, you know, when Bill Clinton, he was, he was looked at as a, as a lesser of two evil um, politicians. And you know, where did that get, uh, where did that get those people of America? Um, the Iraq, uh, Iraq sanctions that were, that were placed, you know, how many millions of children, um, almost half a million children were, um, were killed due to those sanctions. Um, you know, you go on to the next, next president, um, George W. Bush, uh, you know, there was a lot of Muslim support for that. Where did that get us? He was one of the worst war criminals um, known to mankind. But, you know, let's go on to the next candidate, President Barack Obama. He turned out to be the worst um, ever, worst ruler for the Muslims. Um, you, you know, you look at uh, all the past presidents. So Obama was the first. he he uh, the of drone bombs he dropped on the Muslim countries um, was more than all other presidents combined. So you know where where has this lesser of two evils really gotten the Muslims? If you look, um, all all it's doing is you know we're having compromise on our deen 
and just giving us these little scraps here and there. Um, and you know, that's not what we that's not what we really need to do. Um, we need to you know come together and not waste our energy uh, in a system that's not from Islam, but rather you know come together as a ummah uh, to establish something greater, something uh, something that is from Islam. Um, you know, ha- hopefully that you know helps define helps kind of clarify this uh, argument of lesser good evils and really why it's not getting the Muslims anywhere. For sure. I just I just wanted to add to Deepa's point. You know, when he asked, when he mentioned that, um, you know, what happened in Iraq, right? Uh, I I believe it was the Secretary of the State, the Foreign, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Minister of America. You know, there's a video of her on YouTube. You guys can just look this up right now. And they, she admits that you know that the price that it was worth it. You know, the half a million Iraqi children that that died because of you know the economic benefits that the capitalist system again that they would you know gain they say that it was worth it and this again you know it's back to the point this is what the lesser of two evils brings you know this is what the capitalist system brings just wanted to add to that yeah and i just wanted to add another point as well you know when he was talking about does your you know does your vote actually count um if you look at most of the issues um in the united states for example like racial issues in the 60s right it only started gaining uh, popularity within, you know, uh, you know, the president, you know, Lyndon B. Johnson to push that bill because it, it, it gained momentum from people speaking out. It wasn't because they, they did a, they, they voted for a specific person or they, or they went after a specific candidate. It started from them talking and, you know, actually making a push for the government to actually make a change. Um, and it seems like, you know, as far as, you know, in the system, if you can, if you can get w- voters to vote for you, you know, you're going to go ahead and do what they want. And um, that's the only re- real way to even make even a little change within the system. Sure. So just to recap of what we've talked through so far, we've talked about what is democracy? How does voting work? Um, we've talked about uh, the, um, does, does your vote count? We've talked about the halal and harams. Uh, is, is voting halal or haram? Uh, we've talked about the lesser of two evils, which, uh, what's it called? Hulayfa just mentioned right now. Um, we've talked about, yes, I believe that's all we talked about, right? So, I mean, yeah, so just to, um, I, I want to play off of that question of the lesser of two evils. And it's probably something that a lot of people have been wondering while Hulayfa was talking. Hulayfa, you mentioned that, you know, we have three options. Option A is to vote for candidate A, option B, vote for candidate B, or option C is to not vote. And you know how, like I mentioned before about how we're hearing a lot about, you know, go vote, go vote, go vote. Uh, We've also been hearing that if you don't go vote, uh, then don't complain. You know what I'm saying? Because voting equals to inaction. That's what we've been hearing a lot of the times, right? So uh, Hayyan, I wanna ask you this question. Does voting, does abstaining from voting actually equate to an action. So is it right to say that, you know, um, when we don't vote for a specific party or for a specific mm-hmm. party, right. Muslims are affected by that? Right, are we taking the side of the oppressor, basically? Right? That's what they say, right? And um, another thing I was going to say is that uh, a lot of the scholars, you know, they, they, they've started to say that, that we have to vote in these elections, you know, the the imams in our Muslims, they're saying it's mandatory, it's about to vote at this point. So I, it's a very, you know, if this subject is being, you know, pushed down the Muslim minds, you know, the Muslim communities and the Muslim youth, right? They're being, 
put on their heads. It's being shoved down to them that you have to go do this. And they're not giving any justifications, any beliefs, any of the history of the Islamic Ummah, how the Islamic Ummah, you know, like dealt with or how they got to change, how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, how he is the best example of change and how he achieved change. They don't talk about this. So um, one thing I want to mention when I talked about, you know, the, the modern scholars and the imams and um, what they've been saying about voting being obligatory. So I, I would, I want to encourage our listeners, you know, don't always blindly believe, you know, what you hear, right? You have to always make sure, confirm, try, especially, you know, in a subject like this, try to, because it's such an important, like I said, you know, this action, it can be considered as shift, you know, so it, ha- it has to be something you have to look into. And to an example of this is when Umar radiallahu anhu, and uh, this is an example I think Marcus told me about, you know, when Umar radiallahu anhu, he was trying to put a limit on the mahd, right? And the, one of the women who was just sitting there um, in front of him or whatever it was, she, she said that, no, you can't do this. You can't do this. Rasulullah never put a limit on this. So you can't do this. And Umar radiallahu he understood that he was wrong. And he, he's like, okay, like, I, like, you're right. I'm wrong. And that, that wasn't like, you know, forcefully pushed down them. And Umar radiallahu anhu is one of the greatest scholars, one of the greatest Muslims that we have, you know. Um, in our Islamic history, to, so even if he can even be wrong, then what's to say that you know the scholars today cannot cannot be mistaken, right? So always just try to like go back, try to see what the Quran and the Sunnah say before you come to any conclusion. And Alhamdulillah, like, you know the brothers here, we we're trying to justify everything, you know, by giving context and by providing, you know, provide and by breaking down the reality to understand that as best as we can, and at the same time, um, justifying it with the Quran and the Sunnah. Now you said does inaction. But it's not voting equates to inaction. For this, first of all, even if it is in this sense an inaction of voting, not voting, inaction of voting, if we have established already that voting is haram, then we are actually being rewarded by Allah from abstaining from something haram, right? So there is reward in staying away from and staying away from an action, right? And there's a hadith that I mentioned. We can link this, you know, in the video later. But that's num- that's number one thing we um want to establish here. The second thing is, of course, we as Muslims, we, we are hurt by, you know, everything that goes on. We are hurt by what happens to the Hispanic communities, to the black communities. We're hurt by, you know, what's happening to the Muslim youth in America, right? Or not even in America, outside, the, outside um, in the Muslim world where Muslims are being oppressed. We want to bring a change, right? It bothers everyone in Syria and Pakistan and Kashmir. All of us, it haunts us at night. And it pains us that we, we can't stand this oppression and we want to bring a change. I know, I know that per, every person that does vote, at the end of the day, he does want to see change, right? No one is just voting to vote. You want to see change. I want to see change. We all want to see change, right? Now we have to see as Muslims, who is our best example to see change? I mentioned this, you know, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is our best example. If we want to achieve something, we should see how the best man ever to live, how did he achieve this? Right? We follow his sunnah in this, that, this, that. Why don't we follow his sunnah in how to achieve, how to achieve change? How to achieve um, justice for the oppressed. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam in that in Mecca when he was giving da'wah in Mecca, right? We have Dawa Nadwa, which is uh, which is basically the parliament system of the Quraysh, right? This is where the rulers would decide what goes on, what doesn't happen, where the what laws are, you know, um, created by man. We can compare this, you know, to the American Congress or whatever, right? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he did not participate in, you know, in this process. He did not go to Dawa Nadwa and start you know, take a position with uh, with um, Abu Sufyan and Abu Jahl and all these people that um, he was offered. You know, they offered him so much. They offered him money. They offered him 
the best women that they had. They offered him, um, they said, one year we'll live by your rule and one year let's live by our rule. They offered him all sorts of things, but he did not compromise. He had a mission of establishing Islam, which is not bound to anything else, you know, an Islam that Allah, Azzawajal, he revealed to Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, an independent state. This is the action that he took. So he did countless years of da'wah, countless effort, he put countless efforts of da'wah in Mecca, and he was rejected. He was for, for years he was rejected. You know, we know how hard of a life he lived in Mecca. You know, they were boycotted. His wife died. His uncle, who was his protector, you know, he died. When he went to die, he was treated so brutally. He, he came back, you know, with soaking in blood, right? This is the hardships that he went through. We're not even close to any of those hardships. And we're still not following his, his example. His example does... His example teaches us that we need to stick to Islam 100%. We need to stand up to these corrupt rulers. We, need to, we can't participate in their systems, but we stand up to their corruption. We speak out on it. And we offer an alternative system in Islam. This is what Rasulullah did. And in Medina, he was granted the Nusra for this, right? This is what we should also try for. We should do da'wah as much as we can. And we should try to seek the Nusra in the Muslim land. And inshallah, when we receive this, you know, we will be once again victorious. This is the only sort, you know, there's the only way of change that, only way we can achieve change. The only way Rasulullah uh, achieves change this is the only way we can. And we have countless hadiths that promise us this. You know, Allah tells us that victory is near. Allah tells us that in, in another hadith that the, the ruling, that um, we start on the method of the Khulafa Rashidun and then there will be an oppressive rule and whatnot. And then at the end, he, he finishes by, and then there will be another Khilaf on the method of the prophethood, right? So this is the change that we need to strive for. This is the change and justice that we can only, you know, protect humanity, can only serve them justice. And it's because it's from Allah Azza wa He knows us best, right? Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, they don't know us as best as we can. We're all limited humans. But Allah, who is our Lord and creator, the one who has established us on this earth, the one who has given us Jannah, or who will inshallah give us Jannah, he is the only one that can provide a perfect system for us to live in. And that's one thing we should try for, inshallah. Jazakallah khair, very well said, very well said. And before we wrap uh, this podcast up, we're running out of time. Uh, Brother Abdullah, if you have any closing remarks and kind of wrap this thing up, we'd very much appreciate it. Jazakallah khair, uh, brothers, for describing the current system of voting. And just to summarize what Brother Hudayfa described, is that the current system calls itself a democratic system, but we see that the current system vastly benefits a small minority of the population. You know, just looking at it from a fundamental perspective. For example, during the pandemic, we saw trillions of dollars were handed to corporations and, and economic elite in billions, while the vast majority were hoping for breadcrumbs, breadcrumbs, and they didn't know if they would make it from month to month. You know, the, the democratic system boasts itself uh, and it boasts the rule of the majority. But as described by the brother, the electoral college is the one that holds the power in the voting process. Another point, uh, just to summarize, was the lesser of two, two, uh, the lesser of two evils argument and Darura. In summary, the Islamic view of the lesser of two evils is that life, if life is on the line, a prohibited action can be taken and is even encouraged. In instances of life and death, the preservation of life is the most important thing and it's an obligation to preserve it. For example, we know the Muslims in China, they're forced to drink alcohol. You know, they're forced to drink alcohol and if they don't, they will be tortured and maybe even killed. You know, Jazakallah khair for brothers for clearing up these common ideas that are, you know, often overlooked and they're often talked about. 
Now, as viewers, you know, what should we walk away from? There are a couple of main ideas we should walk away with. One is the concept of wakala. In Islam, wakala is where you delegate someone on your behalf. When it comes to voting, it is a form of wakala where you delegate someone on your behalf to legislate. What, what this means is that what legislation means is the person will decide what is right and what is wrong, what is permissible, what is impermissible, well, what we should follow and where we should take our rulings from. In the current system, we vote for people to ideally represent the majority and then create laws that can benefit them. But in Islam, legislation is described very differently. Brother Hayan mentioned in, in, uh, in Ayan Surah Yusuf, and just to give a context of the story of Yusuf al Islam, we know that he was falsely imprisoned for a crime he did not commit. In prison, he meets two companions that come to him to interpret their dreams. And, and in prison, he also gives them da'wah, uh, and he describes to them the deen of Allah. He says, Surah 12, verse 39, All my two companions of prison are separate lords better, or Allah, the one, the prevailing. And then, what does this mean? Exactly. Separate lords or the one. Now, he continues to describe what it means to believe in separate lords and really what it means to believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, You worship not besides him except mere names you have named them. You and your forefathers. You and your fathers. For which Allah has sent down no authority. The legislation is not but for Allah. He has commanded that you worship not except him. That is the correct religion, but most of the people do not know. He, met, he mentions, you know, to the companions in prison, in al-hukmu illa lillah, in al-hukmu illa lillah. They follow and worship other than Allah. They take them as lords who have no authority over them. But Yusuf Lissam describes that legislation is not but for Allah. You know, it is not, legislation doesn't come from our minds. It doesn't come from people that are in our room. You know, where we take halal and haram from isn't from our own minds. You know, forget someone else's where we take our rulings from, whether it be the economics, you know, to even how we interact with one another, you know, even the fundamental values we carry and the moral and manners which we carry them is from Allah and exemplified by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the Quran and the Sunnah. As Muslims, we, when we elect a leader, we elect him to legislate. We elect him to rule by what Allah has revealed. That is the foundation. That is the basis we know that when uh, a leader is selected, he will take rulings from the Quran and from the Sunnah. When people legislate, however, like in all man-made systems, you know, whether it be democracy or socialism, whether it, they are in a minority, majority, all, or a few, or even just one person, they'll look out for their own self-interest at the end of the day, not the self-interest of uh, not self-interest of uh, of the majority, not the self-interest, uh, you know, of even animals. We see that the mercy comes from following the Quran and the Sunnah and taking rulings from the Quran and Sunnah. And even if they don't look at their own self-interest, they don't have man as as we're limited. Our minds are limited. Man doesn't have knowledge to make laws, just for all, and for all times and all places. You know, things change and people don't know what the repercussions are. Hence. That's why man-made laws are always prone to error and injustice. But we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's laws are from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is perfect. We know, we understand in the story of Yusuf al-Islam 
you know, he's falsely imprisoned for several years and in, in darkness and hunger and thirst. You know, his life is on the line. And he mentions this very important point that sovereignty belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's where we can get our rulings of halal, haram, and it's where we take our rulings from for the hukam. You know, jazakallah khair for everyone uh, on the podcast. I think it was really beneficial. Inshallah, we can all benefit from this. Assalamu alaikum. I just want to add another point, Matifan. Go ahead. Yeah, so uh, I was going to say, uh, well, Abdullah's talking, mashallah, he, he killed it right there, you know, and it recalls me of another thing is that kind of going back to my um, question about inaction, action, what the Prophet did, right? Sometimes we as Muslims, we're, we're told, you know, to compromise, right? To, to uh, you know, just give up a little bit and we'll have some benefit here, right? We have some maslaha here, right? So our only maslaha is Islam, right? It has to be halal and haram. If it's halal, that this is this is the maslaha for us, right? And the halal, then we can have different maslaha, right? Anyways, the point I'm saying, the point I want to get across is that when the Prophet wasallam before he got Medina, right, before he got the got the Ansar, right, he was out going to countless other tribes, trying to establish Islam there as well, right? He had this mission, like I said, his this was his action, not going to the Quraysh system, but his action was to establish Islam, and he was going to many tribes. And some of the things he heard from those tribes were. Um, they would say that, uh, okay, we'll, we'll give you authority, but we're not going to fight the Persians. And the Prophet said, like, no, like, I'm not going to settle for this, right? I want 100% Islam, right? I'm not going to be bound by anything. And he didn't settle for this. Just one simple treaty. And today Muslims say, oh, let's compromise on this. At least we get this. Let's compromise on this. At least we get this. That's not the way the Prophet thought. Another example of the same thing is when, um, when they said that after, that after you die, the Prophet told us that after you die, we want the authority, back. we want the rulership back. Again, the Prophet denied. And there's many other instances, but the key point here is that he didn't settle, he didn't compromise. In those years, you could have thought he's been trying so hard, he's been rejected for years and years and years. It's the same thing over and over again. Prophet could have thought, okay, let me just at least try to establish Islam here. Maybe they'll get convinced later on. You know, let me be nice to them right now. Maybe if they see you know, how humble of a, how nice of a person I am. Maybe in five years, they'll, you know, they'll settle, they'll, they'll give me like complete authority. They'll, they'll be willing to fight the Persian empire. But he didn't, you know, he wanted, he, he wanted complete Islam. I think everybody mentioned a lot of good points. Um, I'm sorry to say, I wish we could continue this discussion, but we are running a little bit low on time. Uh, I want to thank everybody for um, making it. Uh, we're recording this right now really late at night, so I want to thank everybody for taking some time out of their sleep to record this. Jazakallah khair, guys. Uh, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us all guidance, to forgive us all, to get us on the straight path, and to bless um, discussions like these. We hope that good can come from um, And until next time, until next time, I think that's it. Anybody else have anything to say? Nothing? All right. I will end it over here. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam taslima. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa sallam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.